So I'm a big movie guy. I, I love movies, and as a parent of four young kids, I watch a whole lot of Disney movies at my house. Anybody else? A few here or there, maybe. So one of my favorite Disney movies of all time is Aladdin. It is such a great movie. I love the characters. I love the plot. If you haven't seen the new one, I would definitely recommend that you get out and check it out. Well, the Aladdin movie has some really amazing elements to it. And if you haven't seen it maybe in a long time, uh, or maybe you've never seen it at all, let me kind of walk you through it. So the movie centers around Aladdin. And Aladdin is a uh, poor, destitute, alone young man who's trying to make his way in a city called Agrabah. And Agrabah is a tough place to be if you're alone and you're poor and you have nobody. In fact, the only way that he and his friend Abu can even eat is if they steal food. And so for he and, and, and for his friends, it's a, it's a difficult existence. It's a difficult place to be. Well, partway through the movie, about the, the first third, at the end of the first third of the movie, Aladdin and his, his monkey friend Abu have been thrown in jail. They've been caught. And this mysterious creature comes up to Aladdin with an interesting offer. He says, if you will go and run an errand for me, if you'll help me find this ancient treasure, I will give you riches beyond your imagination. So Aladdin and Abu, they're like, well, we don't really have a lot of options at this point. So they agree, and this old mysterious man takes Aladdin and Abu to a place called the Cave of Wonders. And as they start to go in, they hear this voice protruding out from the cave that says, Enter here, but touch nothing but the lamp. Don't touch anything else. Only touch the lamp, the very thing that the old man had asked Aladdin to go fetch. So Aladdin and Abu, they, they walk into the cave, and they walk down this long staircase. And as they get to the end, it opens up. And what do they see? They see riches beyond their wildest dreams. They see mountains of gold coins. They see gems. They see diamonds. They see pearls. They see everything that would tempt a young, destitute man to go after it. But you see, the voice going into the Cave said, don't touch anything, only go for the lamp. And see, Aladdin, he had the right perspective. He said, okay, I know that all of this is tempting, that I want to touch this, I want to be wealthy, but my focus is on getting the lamp. But Abu, you see, Abu didn't have quite that same perspective. So Abu, he wasn't able to resist the temptation. And like the picture here, Behind me, he is mesmerized by this treasure. He's completely taken by it. And what happens? Abu goes up and he grabs this giant ruby. And it ends up that the cave starts to collapse on him. And he almost cost both himself and Aladdin their lives because he was unable to manage the temptation. 
So today we're continuing with our series called Faith That Works, and today we're leaning into this topic of the evil desire or temptation. If you haven't been with us, this is our third week in the series. Two weeks ago, we launched the series by trying to talk about what does it mean to approach the book of James. The book of James has a particularly difficult message for us. And I don't know about you, but I like to be comfortable. I don't like hard things. And so we talked about why is it that we should even lean into this particular topic. And we found that God has this particular pathway that he wants us to walk down. And that when we choose to go that way, God provides us with ultimate joy, with ultimate pleasure that can only be found in him. And then last week, we got into the text of James for the first time. And James did not go easy on us, did he? He went into trials and the difficult things in our life, the things that, although we don't like them, they refine us. They make us tougher and stronger. And when we have that toughness and that perseverance is the word that James uses in the text, that's a key ingredient to us being complete, to us being mature in God. And we want to be complete and mature in God because, again, that's where our joy is. That's where ultimate joy, ultimate happiness, ultimate fulfillment fulfillment is. And so today, we're leaning into this tough but crucial topic of temptation. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them? If you don't have a Bible, I'm excited to announce that in every purple chair behind you, you will find a new Bible. Those were donated to us by a, a nonprofit organization called Bibles on the Move. They're brand new, and if you don't have a Bible, you can take that with you. If you have a Bible that you don't really understand or you can't read because the language is a little bit old, I want to encourage you to take that Bible that's in front of you as well. In addition, we'll have the text on the screen. James chapter 1, starting in verse 13, it says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after... Oop, I lost my spot. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from God above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So again, today we're leaning into this topic of temptation, and and I think if we generally went around and asked everyone in the room, we would come up with somewhat of a consistent definition of what temptation is. The dictionary defines it this way, it's the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. And I think that's, a, that's generally a good starting place, but I think that that's not really quite enough. That's not quite holistic enough for us to really understand what it is that God's going to be teaching us today in James. So temptation as a whole actually begins with a more appropriate understanding of sin, of what sin is, of what that actually means. And sin at its base level is rebellion against God. It's rebelling against God. It's saying, God, okay, I I understand that you're here. I understand that you're saying that this is the way we should go in life, but I'm going to choose to do something different because I don't trust you. That's what happens when we're sinning. We're saying, 
I know that this is what it means to be human, but I'm going to do something different. I would prefer my own path. Now, we see uh, in the very first episode of, of humankind with Adam and Eve, we see sin entering in the world. This is a good place for us to go as well. So Genesis chapter 3, starting in verses 1 through 5, I'll read it, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So what's happened here, Adam and Eve were given a mandate by God. They were, said, this is, they were told, this is the way in which you should live. And you can eat from any tree, you can do anything you want in general, except this one thing. There's one tree for which you are not meant to eat. And what happens is that although they know this, although Adam and Eve are both aware that this is not where they should go, the serpent comes along and convinces Eve that God's been holding out on her. That God has not been truthful. That he's not been as good as what he says he is. And the serpent says, you're not certainly going to die if you eat this. You're going to be like God. You shouldn't just be satisfied with being only human. You should seek to be like God. The creator. And so what happens then is Eve gets it in her mind that being human, being the way God made her, is not sufficient. And that is the root of what sin is. It's saying, God, your way is not right. Your way is not sufficient. There's a theologian named Millard Erickson, uh, who, who wrote a lot of books on, on Christian theology. Christian theology, theology is, is a hard word. I think sometimes we don't understand what that means. It's just the study of God. But in one of his books, he says this, related to this topic of sin and of temptation. He said, Lucifer's fault. Now, Lucifer, if you don't know, Lucifer is the name for Satan prior to his rebellion against God. So Lucifer's fault lay in his ambition to ascend into heaven, to set his throne above the stars of God. Being unwilling to remain within the bounds of his proper position, he fell into sin. Such was also the case in the human fall. The temptation placed before Adam and Eve was the temptation to become as God, knowing good and evil. In other words, their sin consisted in yielding to the temptation to try to be more than what they were created to be, human. There is nothing wrong with being human. In fact, it's a good thing. It's the way that God intended us to be, to be nothing more than human, but nothing less than human, nothing outside of being human. And sin is about saying, I want to be different than my humanity. I want to be something other than human. And so what happens then is temptation is this desire, this nagging, constant call for us to be more or different or other or less than human. Now this is 
particularly difficult for us to deal with because let's be honest, I mean, I'll be honest, sin's really awesome. I like sin, right? I mean, who likes sin? I like sin. I like getting what I want because I took it. I enjoy that. There's a, there's a temporary feeling of satisfaction when we sin. And so temptation is hard to deal with because temptation says, yeah, that, that thing that you want, you should just take it. You should just grab it. You should just make it yours, whatever that is, because it will provide you more happiness than what God will provide for you. I remember when I was young, my brother and I, we used to uh, ride our bikes from our grandmother's house to a convenience store. And every time we'd go in this convenience store, we would go straight to the candy aisle. You know, I mean, you got, you got your, your whole litany of candy. I don't know, you've got your, your big league chews. Anybody remember that? You know, the stuff that looks like tobacco, but it's really, you know, gum, because chewing tobacco was awesome when I was a kid. And, you know, you've got your, your candy bar, your Carmelo, your, your Snickers, all this great stuff. But when I was young, we didn't grow up with a whole lot of money. And so sometimes I'd have a couple dollars and I'd be able to dine on the, the beautiful feast of chocolate and caramel. But at other times I would go in and I didn't have any money. But I wanted it so bad. But I wanted it. And that's what temptation is. Temptation is that this is better than what God has for you. Even though it would be wrong for me to grab a candy bar, to take that Milky Way, which is my favorite, just in case anybody wants to buy me a Milky Way, to take it, to stick it in my pocket, and to leave. But that's not what God's best is. So with this kind of as a, as a framework of what sin is and how temptation kind of intersects with that, let's go back to the text and kind of dig in a little bit further. Verse 13, when tempted, so when this desire to stray from God's best no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, this verse makes a little bit more sense in this context, right? God's got a pathway. It does not make sense that he himself would come and try to get us off of that pathway. God is eternally consistent. He is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it would be contrary to his nature to say, this is the way you should go. Oh, but by the way, you should really go over here. That doesn't make any sense, right? God is eternally consistent. He wants us to follow that pathway toward life. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Now this is, this is the hard part, okay? One of the hard parts. A lot of this is hard. Your desire for sin, your temptation roots in you. It roots in me. It does not come from somewhere else or from someone else. Certainly other entities like Satan, we talked about him earlier, certainly they influence that, but the actual desire is rooted inside of you. There's nowhere else to put the blame. So again, verse 13 said we, we shouldn't blame God. It's not his fault. And verse 14 says this, it is in you. Let me give you another story real quick. So the other day, earlier this week, Amanda and I, my wife, we were driving in the car. And we like to do that sometimes. It's a relaxing thing for us to do. We like to drive, explore new areas. It's a great chance for us to just connect and talk. And we were nearing kind of where our home is. We live over by Twin Lakes Elementary School. And, and I was about to turn left. I'd gotten into the left turn lane. And my wife, she asked me a very simple, completely innocent question. She said, are you sure you want to turn? 
What she meant was, are you sure you want to end our time early? I'm enjoying this time with you. Let's continue and drive. But me, what I, what I took that for was, hey, I should get over into the right lane and we should continue driving. So without thinking, I immediately start pulling over to the right lane to only to have a white truck zip past us and almost take off my rearview mirror. Now, my immediate reaction to that was anger. I was like, wait, 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 wait. What just happened? I almost hit somebody. Somebody almost hit me. I almost put my family in danger. What's going on? And what happened? My place of my anger was not myself. No, 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 no. I blamed Amanda for that. But was it her fault? Of course not. I'm looking at you right now, babe. It was not your fault. Public confession time. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. We're just here with some close friends, you know. My sin was not her fault. I was angry because I was reckless. But I couldn't blame her. It was my issue. The same thing happened in the same account that we read earlier with Adam and Eve. So the way the story continues to play out, Adam and Eve are tempted. Eve is tempted. She eats the fruit she shouldn't eat. She gives it to her husband, and immediately everything changes. Sin enters the world, brokenness, the separation from God. And God comes up to Adam and Eve, and he says, what happened? Did you do what I told you not to do? Now, Adam he asks this question of Adam. And Adam, this is the first man in history. This is the guy that you should, you know, he should be the man's man, right? He should be the best possible human being ever. And what does he do? First thing he says, that woman, so he starts by blaming her, that you gave me. Then he blames God. So imagine this scene. There's three people standing here. It's God, it's Eve, and it's Adam. And he's like, look, it's y'all's problem. This wasn't me. This was your fault. Even from the very first people that ever existed, we have wanted to pass the buck. We've wanted to shift blame. But verse 14 in James chapter 1 says, there's no one else to blame but you and but me for our own sinful desire, that we are responsible for it. Now we have a little bit of an understanding of where, what temptation is, where it comes from. It comes from inside of us. Let's take a look at what happens when we give in to temptation. Verse 15. Then, after desire has conceived, after we have given in to temptation... It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James, he paints a really gruesome and really troubling picture here of a child that's born and not alive, of a stillborn child. And what he says is that sin is like this. You invest in sin, and you think it's going to provide this great life for you. You think it's going to provide the fulfillment that you so desperately seek. But what happens is it only, always leads to death. 
It doesn't provide you the joy that you expect. We expect when we're having a baby to have joy and have happiness. And if death is what happens at the end of it, it's a tragedy. Sin is a tragedy, church. It's awful. It doesn't provide you what you look for, what you yearn, what you need for happiness. It provides death. And so even though it's tempting for me to grab that candy bar, in the end, it doesn't provide life. It provides shame. It provides a pathway to getting caught, which gets me a record, which gets me in trouble, which completely damages the rest of my life. Maybe for you, it's not being totally honest in your business dealings. Maybe it's, hey, if I cut that corner just a little bit, then I'll get that edge up, and then I'll, I'll pass that person in the promotion line, and then I'll be happy because I'll have more money. I'll be able to retire earlier. But cutting corners doesn't provide life. It provides death. Maybe it's that other person that you want to sleep with instead of your spouse. Oh, if I just, if I just have that affair once, the joy from this, it's going to be amazing. But what happens? It wrecks your life. It destroys you. Sin does not lead to life. It leads to death. So what do we do? How do we live in light of this truth that temptation is something we should never lean into. We should never allow temptation to overcome us, sin to overcome us. Verse 16 says this. James gives us the answer. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. And that's the challenge for us today is don't be deceived. It's so easy. You know, may, maybe nobody will notice. Maybe nobody will find out if I just do this little thing or that little thing. But it's deception. It's lies. Don't be deceived. That's a challenge for us today. So what does that look like? How do we actually put into practice not being deceived? Well, there's a couple things that we need to do. The first is this. We need to recognize the temptation is coming. In the same way that we talked about last week, that trials are a natural part of being a follower of Jesus, in the same way, temptations are also a natural part of being a follower of Jesus. Whether we like it or not, verse 13 says this, when tempted, it is part of our life, whether we like it or not. Now, I don't know about you, for me, Recognizing that temptation is coming is about being prepared. We need to be prepared. For me, I'm a rhythmic person, and so if the rhythms of my life are not right, if the rhythms of my life are out of whack a little bit, temptation is easier for me to fall into. And so for me, I have to have healthy rhythms. I've got to stay uh, in the Word of God. I've got to be close to my wife and close to my kids. I've got to rest properly. I need to take care of myself. I need to exercise and eat healthy and, and eat a salad sometimes, which I, you know, I don't always like doing. I'd rather eat the candy bar, but I, but I got to eat the salad. You know what I mean? 
Being healthy in every aspect of our lives helps to support this because all of us, we are all connected in one way that our bodies and our souls and our spirit, all of it is connected in one piece. And so for me, if I am healthy, if I am right, if my rhythms are where they need to be, I can be better protected, better ready when sin comes knocking. And so whatever that is for you, I would encourage you to lean into it. Maybe it is being healthier. Maybe it's seeing someone that can help you talk through your temptations. That leads to our second thing, which is this, to own up to our temptations. If we want to not fall to temptation, we have to own it up. And this is a hard thing to do, man, because it requires us to sort of open ourselves up and be vulnerable. I don't like that. I don't like to be vulnerable, and I know you don't either. But if we want to address our issues, the best way to do that is in part to own up to it. So for me, one of the things that I struggle with is pride. I struggle with being proud. I mean, I'm standing up here in front of you and I'm talking. And if I do a good job, I like that. You know? But that's a temptation. I'm I'm tempted to sin when I think that this is all about me. But when... I get it out there. When we get our temptations out there and we say, this is, this is what I struggle with. This is where my issues are, as ugly as they are. And let's be honest, sin is ugly. Confessing where we're tempted is really ugly. But God does a work in our hearts when we confess that, when we own up to it. Maybe you're tempted in, in an area that's different than me. Maybe you're tempted with money. Maybe you're tempted with sexual lust or sexual issues. Maybe you're tempted in other areas to to be dishonest. Maybe you're tempted to spend all your time watching TV and playing video games. I don't know what it is for you, but getting it out in the open helps. Now, there's two parts to this. The first is, again, being vulnerable, opening up our chest, allowing people to come in to see us. But the other piece is for us more globally as the church. When people do that, when they open themselves up, it is our responsibility to love on them, not to shame them. The quickest way for me to close back up to dive into shame, which shame is simply a protection mechanism from pain. It's pulling yourself back, numbing yourself. The quickest way to do that is, I confess I have issues, and somebody's like, ooh, hmm, that's your issue? Oh, that's nasty. Good luck with that. And what happens? I say, well, I'm real glad I told you. And I close up, right? But if instead of that, we confessed that we're tempted in certain areas and somebody came alongside and said, oh, thank you for being vulnerable enough to say that. What can I do to love you? How can I support you in this? How can I pray for you as you're being tempted in this area? What can I do to walk alongside you? Oh, then there's this beautiful thing that happens where real community occurs. We spent a lot of time today. Mike and Connie were generous enough to get on stage and to talk about life groups. That's a place where I hope we can be this. Where someone can come in and say, I'm hurting, I'm broken, I can't handle this temptation. And then we can say, brother, sister, let us love you. 
Let us help you through this so that death isn't the end for you, but life is the end for you. But that requires that we, as a body of Christ followers, step up to the plate. That means that for you and for me, when someone comes and confesses, our first answer is, come here, let me love you. Not, oh, I don't want to touch that. That's what this place should be. That's what the church should be. I'm preaching now, man. This place should be a place for people that are hurting, that are sore, that have been beat up a little bit. That's what this place should be. Not a place that a lot of the world sees us as, which is a place full of hypocrites. We should not be that, church. We should openly welcome people that are hurting because sometimes I'm going to hurt. Sometimes I'm going to be tempted, and you too. And where else should we go except here? But that requires us to be vulnerable. That requires us to open ourselves up, to own up to our temptation. The last thing that we need to do is this. We need to turn our eyes upon God There's a lot of things that as a pastor I hope for for our congregation. I hope that you guys become great human beings, that you continue to to be better citizens, that you love your neighbors well. But more than anything else, I hope that as we journey together, that you get to know God. That is my greatest hope for you. Because when we get to know God, who God is and what he's about, it changes everything. It changes our lives. From the inside out, we become different people because God, when we see him, our affections are stirred toward him. We say, yes, you are what my soul desires. And then by nature, we become more human. We go back into line with the way he designed us to be and everything works better. And that is my hope for us as a community is that we get to know God better, that we turn our eyes on him. Verses 17 and 18, they say this of James chapter 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. I wish we had more time. We could unpack this at length, but I just want to go step by step and just call out some of the beauties of who God is and what he's about. Every good and perfect gift is from above. This is beautiful. If there's anything in your life that is good, that you enjoy, its ultimate root is in God. So if you like good food, it's because of two things. One, God in his beauty and his creativity decided to create food that tastes that way. And then on the other side, he gave you the ability to enjoy it. How great is God? If you like sports, it's the same thing. God put in our hearts a desire to to conquer, to, to subdue the earth, to make it ours. And when we, when we like to watch football, when we watch, you know, like to watch the Cowboys, the best football team in the, in the country, you know, when we like that, that's part of that. It's a good thing. When we like fellowship with other people, God created us to be communal, to be relational. That desire, that joy in us, that's from God. God is amazing. 
coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. God is the creator of all things, all things large, all things small, who does not change like shifting shadows. I love this about God. Again, and I mentioned it earlier, he's eternally consistent. He's always been the same. He's the same right now, and he'll always be the same. And how great is that, that in the midst of that, that includes his love for you, that there was never a time he didn't love you, no matter how dark it got for you, that right now he loves you even in the midst of whatever it is you're going through. And we're, we all have stuff, right? And there's never going to be something you go through where he doesn't love you. How beautiful is the consistency of God. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. I love this. This is the essence of the gospel, the good news, the transformational message that though broken, though unworthy of God, because of God's sacrifice of his son on the cross, you have access. You have access to what it means to be really human. You have access to God, to salvation. And then this last piece, and this, is, this blows my mind, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So did you know that as a follower of Jesus, you are God's first and foremost in all of creation. You're his primary. So like, if God invites all of his friends over to his house, he's not going to be showing off the view from the back deck. He's not going to be showing off his media room or all of his trophies. He's going to walk in and he's going to point to you and say, you, you are the one. This is my prized possession. My followers, my people they are the ones that are my greatest creation. And when all of these things come together and we turn our eyes upon God and we look at him, it changes everything. There's this great old hymn called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And in a moment, I'm going to have the worship team come out and we're going to sing the chorus of that hymn. And I would invite you guys to stay seated. You can sing it if you like. You can allow the words to kind of cascade over you as you consider Christ. But I'm going to pray in a moment. But my prayer is that we would be changed by this, that, that the word of God, that, that his love for us, that turning our eyes on him would change who we are. And that we would be vulnerable, that we would understand temptation is coming so that in all of these things we might be better prepared to deal with it because life is better than death and God's pathway is always toward life so I'm going to pray and while I'm praying I'm going to invite the worship team to come out Father God thank you so much for this day thank you Lord for this truth that life is better than death that you've given us a pathway toward life God I pray that you would change us that you would work in our hearts and in our minds. God, I pray that as temptations come, and they're coming, they might be right in the face of some of us right now. God, that instead of yielding to temptation, instead of falling into sin, that you would do a mighty work. That you would show us life. God, you are so good. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.